Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon commercial real estate podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Today, we have an experienced multifamily investor. He knows how to transition from smaller to larger deals and can certainly help you on your journey today. So his name is Lee Yoder. Now, Lee was practicing physical therapy when he first realized his passion, his true passion was building his own real estate business and investing in real estate. And today, Lee is focused on syndicating larger apartment buildings and is the founder and visionary of uh, threefold real estate investing. Lee is committed to using his God-given gifts to forge a path that will generate incredible opportunities for all involved. His focus is driving the business forward by establishing new relationships with top-notch professionals in the real estate world and bringing on more partners to invest alongside threefold. Lee also hosts a podcast, Threefold Real Estate Investing, and Lee and his wife, Hannah, currently reside in Ohio with their two children and many farm animals. And when Lee is not working in real estate, he enjoys spending time with his family, working to build their homestead and cheering on the Buckeyes and Bengals. Lee is a man of faith whose greatest desire is to reflect God to his family within his business and to all those God places in his path. Wow. Lee, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Yannick. Really excited to be here. I didn't, I, I gave you a lot there. You, you really read through a lot. I, I should trim that down. No, no, man. It's, it's amazing. It's always great to really learn about our guests. I think our, our audience really resonates with that. Before we dive into, you know, your experience, your background, maybe, you know, give us one or two points on your background, your story and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure, man. Um, I like telling my story because, uh, you know, I did nothing special. I didn't play in the NFL or anything like that, you know, uh, just a, it's a more, you know, normal upbringing. Um, and so anybody can follow my path, Yannick. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I did go to school for a long time. You know, you and I, uh, you were on my podcast, a uh, great episode. We were talking about, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that book had an effect. I was really going the Poor Dad route for sure. So I went, I went to college for seven years you know, to be a physical therapist these days, they make you get your doctorate. So I had to get my doctorate in physical therapy. But pretty quickly, Yannick, I just felt like I just wasn't that passionate about it. And I'm like, this isn't what God created me to do. And so the company I was with uh, at, at the time, after just after just two years of, of being into physical therapy, having graduated two years before, I was with a startup company. I, I came into the office. I actually wasn't doing any more physical therapy. I was more like just helping build out a division within the startup company. Um, and I was loving that work. Uh, and I was not missing physical therapy. So I'm like, man, this is what I like. And it was, it was the first time I was like realizing I'm kind of an entrepreneur or not kind of, but I am. And I was doing entrepreneurial type stuff within the startup company. But the problem with that, Yannick, is that, um, you know, it kind of typical sometimes like climbing the corporate ladder. My wife and I were starting a family and it was just like more and more and more time at work devoted to my job, which again, I enjoyed the work, but I didn't enjoy the consuming nature of it and how much I was away from my family. My wife and I were just starting our family at the time. We had two young kids 
And then, you know, for us, we felt called to like be around our kids a lot and make that the priority. And so the career path I was on wasn't going to do that. And so I just started looking around like, what else is there? And that's, you know, that's when I found books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and realized there's a different way. There's a different game to be played. There's a different game than just, you know, do as well as you can with your company so that they promote you, which just probably means you got to work more time. I know for me, moving toward a promotion, that's what it meant. Uh, I, I talked to my the VP of the company and he was like, yeah, you got to be here more when you get that promotion. You're going to be here later at night. And it was like, that's just not what I wanted. So there's another way out there. Um, and, and real estate really spoke to me. My dad's in construction. Um, that's what he's done. You know, my whole life, I've done some construction myself. So just a lot of ways real estate spoke to me. But even more than that, Yannick, it was like, I think this entrepreneur thing is for me because I love to work. I love to get after it, but I want to be able to control it. And so it felt like, man, if I kind of do my own thing, I mean, I'm all about like with the company I was with, I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning because I was like, well, that's a way for me to do more work, but not miss time with my kids because they're asleep at that time. So I'm, I'm more of an early, early bird that rather than night out. So I would go to bed, you know, early with my wife, but I'd get up super early, try to get in a couple hours of work before anybody got up. Um, and so I'm up for doing that, but then I, that means I want to get off earlier, you know, so I can spend time with my kids. Right. So that was what kind of sparked my interest. Was like, I, I think there's a different way to do things where I can maybe get into this entrepreneurial thing and control my time. So work really hard, work a lot, but control it and do it when I want and be flexible and do it work around my family schedule, not the other way around. And so at the end of 2016, I left the corporate world, went back to doing home health physical therapy, where it was kind of this more relaxed, flexible job that I didn't love. Like it it was kind of boring to me, but I started real estate as a side hustle at that time. So that was kind of how I got into it and why I got into it. That's perfect. That's perfect. I think a lot of, a lot of our listeners can certainly resonate with your transition, right? Because you know, when you're climbing a corporate ladder, like you said, you know, you are, you are on someone else's time and you just don't have that freedom. You just don't have that bandwidth to just drop everything and, and go to a kid's football game or, yeah, um, right. you know, a recital or something like that. You know, you're, you're on someone else's time. So that's exactly why I got into real estate as well was I get to control my time and, you know, there's responsibilities that come with that. For sure. But, um, you know, that's, I think that's why all real estate investors get into real estate. So yeah, yeah, it's a great benefit. Okay. Fast forward, you, you started investing in real estate around 2016, right? Did you start off in the single family space and then graduated to multifamily? Like what was that progression for you? Yeah. Just a real quick timeline. Yeah. Like, and then we can dig in wherever you want to. I left the corporate space at the, toward the, right at the end of 2016. It wasn't until the fall of 2017, we bought a single family home to flip. So we did a flip in our, in our hometown where we live here in, uh, Southwest Ohio, uh, in 2018, uh, that next fall, I bought a duplex, basically flipped that, but had it rented for a little bit. So we had some renters and saw that proof of concept that like, okay, this is investing. Flipping is not investing, but this is investing. We're making money each month, but then ended up selling that. And then the next fall in 2019, we got an eight unit, a 10 unit and a 16 unit. Um, and had got all of those at the end of 2019, owned all those for a year, started selling them at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, sold all three of those. So went from 34 units back to zero, but that allowed me to quit my job. I quit my W-2 as a physical therapist at the end of 2020, jumped all in, and in 2021 started syndicating. We got a 45 unit, a 47, and a 96 unit in 21, and then we bought a 95 unit last year. Didn't buy anything for a whole year until we just closed on a 64 unit. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And 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 that growth of, you know, 
starting in the single family space to small multifamily to large multifamily. Did you feel like you should have like jumped in the large multifamily first or did you feel like that was the right progression for you at that time? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question, man. Um, I, you know, cause I, I pretty much knew I wanted to be in multifamily and, and I knew I wanted to be in bigger multifamily, but I did have some limiting beliefs, but I also think, I also think you need a track record uh, before you raise money from other people. So you can get that two ways. You can either partner. So, you know, you, you, you get, you've got some experience now, you, you know, you've syndicated some deals. And so a year from now, you know, you're crushing it. If I come alongside you and I borrow your experience and your track record, that's fine. So that's one way. So you can go partner with somebody that has a track record, but, or you got to get it yourself. And so the way I got it myself was I did a flip myself with my own money. And then I did a duplex myself with my own money. And then once I got into the small multifamilies, I did start using other people's money, but it was like my family, you know, the people that were willing to bet on me before I really had a track record. And then we did those three small multifamilies, sold them all. And now I had a track record. So now I could go to people. So I knew, yeah, I knew that's where I want to be. And, and I, I think I wish I would have gotten there quicker, but um, I think there was ways to maybe speed it up a little bit, but I, I think you need a track record first. I, I think you got to cut your teeth with some of your own money or maybe just, you know, your, your parents' money, you know, my, my in-laws were a pretty early investor, my best buddy from church. Um, I think that's a good way to go to cut your teeth and, and, and build it up. Uh, you know, you did, you know, you could go and, and work in the industry. And so that's kind of a track record, at least of being in the industry, but I didn't have any of that. So I think you got to have a track record. Or you got to lean on somebody else's track record first. Yeah. Yeah. There's no substitute for track record. I say that all the time, you know, that it could always help you. It can never hurt you. Right. By, by actually doing something. And uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people try to go to do like their first, you know, 200 unit deal their first time around. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think to your point and and mine as well, you know, our our first deal was an 18 unit deal. Right. And, you know, we would love to do 180 unit deal. Right. Because scale is much better. You know, everything is, is, is much better when you're doing the larger deals. But that track record means so much. Because first, it allows you to overcome the imposter syndrome, right, of you thinking that, you know, you're not good enough to actually do the deal. Um, I think that, you know, those small bite size chip aways at like doing some smaller deals to get that confidence. I mean, that that's still a good progression to go to eventually get up to where you want to be is my point. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Tell us about how you were like structuring, you know, some of the smaller deals. Was it, was it like joint venture, you know, was it just kind of like your own, like how, how did you structure those? Yeah, just simple joint ventures, man. I, I think it's a great way to get started. So uh, yeah, literally on the 16 unit, um, just brought in one partner. Um, I gave them 50, they brought all the money. Uh, we needed a hundred thousand dollars for that deal. So they bought that, gave them 50% and I got 50% because I found it. I put it together. I did all the work, you know, I mean, they were involved. If you're doing a joint venture, you know, technically both all parties have to be active and they were, but I, I did 95% of the work um, and, and they were active, but I, I did most of it. So I got 50% for all that and I got 50% for bringing the money. Yeah. You know, we got the eight unit, same thing, buddy. From, well, that was a little bit different. So it was a buddy of mine from church. We each put in like $30,000. Um, I got 55% because I did more of the work and um, he got 45% because he wasn't doing as much. And then the 10 unit. Uh, that same buddy and my parents, uh, they put up all the money. I kept 50 and gave each of them 25. So yeah. um, it's a great way to do it, man. If you can find somebody that says, hey, I got the money. I don't have the time or the you know knowledge, the hustle, whatever. whatever. And the other guy or girl has all hustle and, and experience and networking and all that. 
but no money, it's a perfect match. And that's kind of what we did on those first uh, few to get us going. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's also less expensive to put those deals together. Right. I mean, syndication costs here. You're, yeah. you know, just for an SEC attorney, you're spending an easy 10 grand on that. And yep. there's a securities risk that comes behind that as well. So I think there's a lot of benefits to, to doing, you know, joint venture deals. And I mean, you get a bigger piece of the pie also, right? Yes. I would still be doing joint ventures if I knew uh, guys and girls that wanted to put $2 million into a deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd still do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So touch on like that progression from like an operations perspective, doing small, yeah. smaller deals to larger deals, because it is, there is a, a clear difference on, how you, you know, you're a little bit more nimble on operations with larger deals than you are with smaller deals. You know, the budget is a little bit smaller on some of those smaller acquisitions. You're not, you're not able to hire people, but I guess from your perspective, you know, how did you guys, you know, what did you guys shift maybe operationally when it came to doing larger deals versus like, you know, smaller acquisitions? Yeah, I think you know, it, it comes down, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of people will explain the, the single family uh, dilemma that like, Single families can be a great investment opportunity, especially if you just want to park some money and hold long term or something. They're going to appreciate you buy in a good area and you might get a resident stays there for a long time. So I'm not um, saying that's not a good investment. But what, what you run into is if you want to scale and you say, well, I want 20 units. Well, if you're going to do it with a single family, you're like you're going to have 20. I mean, you're going to buy them all in the same neighborhood. They're going to be spread out all over. And, and that's if you can find 20 in one city. They might be spread out between different cities. So that's really hard to manage. Uh, for a property manager, so it, let's say I'm doing it myself. I'm if I've got the vacancy, I, I'm going anywhere all over the city just to show one unit at one house, right in 20 different locations. My maintenance guy, he's got 20 different locations all over the city. Like it, it might be enough work to keep him busy, but he's going to spend half his time driving, right? Because it's it's all over. Versus now, imagine 20 units in one area. He's he's got one property to go to. I've got one property to show units. There might be two units vacant at the same place. You can, you, know, you can be working on both of them, right? Or two maintenance requests at the same place. And it's just, it's so much easier to manage. And so if, if a 20 units easier than 20 houses, well, then a 100 units easier than 520 units, right? Just the more you go up. And so we've just seen that, that like, even with those small ones, you know, we, we use a third party uh, professional property manager and they were good, but you know, it, they manage all small stuff. And I just saw like, it's hard. It's hard to manage a bunch of properties. They, they manage like a thousand units, but they didn't manage any hundred unit properties. So those thousand units might've been a hundred different properties, maybe, maybe two, maybe, yeah, maybe 200 different properties. So they are going everywhere. And to get, you know, to get somebody to come out, you know, just for one showing or get a guy come out to my eight unit down here for just one maintenance call, like, it's difficult for them to, to manage all that and it's expensive. And so that's what we've seen. The more units we've gotten in one location, it's easier to manage it. We're now managing ourselves, but I saw it with them and I see it with ourselves. Like just the more units you have in one area, just the economies of scale, likely, you know, when your maintenance guy goes out, likely he can, you know, if he waits maybe just two or three days, there's likely going to be three maintenance calls at the same building. So you go out and you take care of all three and it, his time is so much more efficient, right? He's not driving between them. And same thing, if you know, at a 100 unit, Yannick, like five vacant units at any given time is, is fine. You know, that's 95% occupancy. That, that's a good number. So you, you know, you can be showing multiple units at the same time and, and just, you know, turning multiple units at the same time. It's just, it's much more efficient. So we've just seen that the more units we can buy in one area, it's easier for 
a property management company to manage if we're having them do it. And it's easier for us to manage if we're doing it ourselves. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that, you know, you definitely, first and foremost, should have a property manager that can handle your specific unit count, right? So you don't yeah, want to yes. have like a huge property management company managing like 10,000 units, managing like your 20 unit property because you're right. never going to be paid attention to. Right. And then you you, you don't want to have, you know, in your situation, you know, um, property manager that, you know, um, you know, can't really manage an, an eight unit because they're so spread yeah. thin. Um, so I think that, you know, the larger properties are certainly where you really want to be because you can have people on site that's dedicated to you, to your property. I, know. I think that's yes. probably the biggest, one of the biggest differences from an operations perspective Huge. is that, you know, when you're doing smaller opportunities, you kind of at sometimes might have to like piecemeal the operations. You're sharing people. You're sharing with other properties, right? Yeah. Well, exactly. well said, yeah, 100%. And so I think with the larger deals, you you get to have people on site that that are just dedicated, like they yep. answer to you and yep. no one else. You're not sharing them. I really, really, really love that you were able to, to make that jump into the next phase, um, which is larger opportunities. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank, earning 0% return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, Well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash passive guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash passive guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. As we, you know, talk today, we're in June, 2023, you know, rents are like, you know, plateauing in some markets. It's certainly not as, you know, high as, you know, when COVID, you know, started, you know, maybe 2020 going into 2021, we're we're seeing rent come down, rents come down to a more normalized like level. So I guess my question is, you know, within your operations, you know, what what are you guys doing to kind of counteract that or, or make sure that your properties are full because we might be in a situation where, you know, economy might be turning around, yeah. you know, people's budgets might be pulling back, yep. you know, and, you know, they're looking for ways to, you know, save on costs. Right. So I guess from maybe from like a tenant retention or just operations perspective, you know, what, what's your plans for the, for the future on, on handling that, that episode, if it does happen? Yeah, we, yeah, absolutely. I, I will say like, we've already kind of downshifted um, a little bit and, and we're really pushing that to our property managers to say, yeah, because you're right. I mean, I think back to last summer, uh, we had just taken on a 95 unit um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we got it in May. And I'm telling you, like, we could not find the top of the rent, rental market. Like, we just kept raising rent, not on like the current residents, but, we, you know, you're, we were turning units constantly. And so every new unit was like, let's try 1100. Let's try 1150. Let's try 1200. Let's try 1250. I mean, we just kept going up. And then at the, toward the end of 2022, that really, that stopped. And then we went into the winter and normally winter is, is a harder period to rent in, right? So we saw that come way back down and it like came back down to like 1100, 1150. And it's really kind of stayed there almost ever since. Like we have not seen, you know, I say that it kind of did go back up a little bit in the spring and, and summer, but 
we're really preaching to our property management company because I, I really do see a recession coming personally. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm, I'm worried about it. So I'm just telling them, I'm positioning them. We don't want to push so hard. So when you're real aggressive, Yannick, what, what we kind of do is like, if we've got somebody in our property and, and we buy the, the properties that we've bought over the past couple of years, kind of answers some of your question too. We've got properties where like the average rent, the one we just closed on, the average rent was $664 for two bed, one and a half bath townhomes. We think the market rent is a thousand. So there's a lot of room there, right? So what what you do there is you, if somebody's paying 650, you raise the rent 50 bucks, or maybe you raise it a hundred bucks. It depends how aggressive you want to be. So if we, if we feel like there's tons of renters out there, it's a hot period, you can rent anything. We're going to push those people pretty far because we don't mind if they leave because if they leave because they say, hey, I can't afford 750, well, someone's going to come in paying a thousand. But we're just getting to the point now, Yannick, we're like, we're just not pushing so hard. So we don't want so much vacancy because we're not so confident there's so many people out there that are willing to pay a thousand or even 950 or 900. So we'd like to keep a few more people. And if you can get $50 more in rent, that's a win, right? So we're going to, we're going to increase rent because, hey, 650 for a two bed, one and a half bath town home, it, it, it's, it's way too cheap. You know, that's way, way, way beyond market. So we're going to raise people's rent and, and kind of some significant bumps, but probably not as aggressive as we were because we know people are more likely to leave now. And it might take a little bit more time to get somebody in. And then, you know, the way we're adjusting too, you know, is like, Hey, our performance said we were going to get a thousand, but we said we were going to get a thousand within like three to five years. So we've got some time to get there. So if rent pulled back and market rent went down 10%, instead of a thousand, it was 900. Well, again, like I told you, our average rent is 664. So we're still working our way up. Like we're still bumping everybody up, moving up. And I, I think, you know, we go into recession, I think it'll last a couple of years, whatever. And then we'll be back up to, to a thousand. So, and that's going to be, you know, three, four, five years from now. So we're just, we're definitely downshifting and not being as aggressive uh, on our lease renewals and, and pushing people's rent as much. And then we're just prepared where, hey, if we think we might get a thousand, hey, if we got to drop it to nine fifty, that's okay. That's still within our plan. We're doing fine. If we got to drop it to nine hundred eventually, we'll do that. So we're feeling pretty good. And we just, yeah, you got to see how how the market reacts. If you got a unit that's sitting, you're gonna have to lower rent. I mean, I would rather the unit be filled uh, than sit vacant. I, I tell our property managers, and like I said, now we're doing it ourselves um, for our newest acquisition. The difference between zero dollars and nine hundred dollars is a lot more than the difference between a thousand and nine hundred. So. If we got to drop the rent at a hundred for it to not sit vacant, that's cool, right? Like, I give me that hundred dollar difference, not that nine hundred dollar difference. Yeah, man, that's so so true. We're we're doing the same. I think at this point of the cycle, you know how we look at it is we're not really too aggressive on value add opportunities. You know, yeah. value add business plans, but yeah. more so focused on high occupancy, delivering cash flow and mm-hmm. kind of providing a nice quality experience for our investors. Yep. I think, you know, to your point, you know, it's and and that's a role of an asset manager as well, right? It's to to know the market, to manage occupancy, to know when to push, know when to pull, know when to stop. And overall, you know, your 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 properties are always better off filled. You know, as an investor, yes, you do want to execute the business plan. And you, you know, you want to get the, you know, the exact returns that you right. said that you were going to get for your investors. But the reality is that, you know, you're either going to be above or below pro forma, right? And sometimes the market is just a market, but as an, you know, an operator, it's incumbent on you to really, really follow the market and and just focus on the leading indicators that would allow you to 
progress within your financial, yeah. you know, pro forma or your your properties operations, you know, vertically, right? And that and, and number one, it's it's maintaining occupancy. That's how you do it, right? I think so. Vacancy is the biggest killer, man. Yeah, that's one of the worst things to deal with, uh, with within you know just real estate in general. It's it's vacancy. I mean we're. I mean, vacancy. I mean, we're you know not to get off topic, but we're seeing it in the, in the office space, right? I mean, all these office yeah. properties that are just vacant that were trading like a hundred million dollars over last year are now like half the value. Yep. You know, if if any of our listeners are, are really paying attention to to what we're talking about, definitely focus on occupancy because that is fundamentally what is going to more than likely help you, you know, achieve, you know whatever returns that you set out for your investors for sure. Yep. Man, I agree. Yeah. Well said. What is your superpower within your, within your, your company? Do you have partners? You know, yeah. how was your role, you know, with respect to the operations within, you know, threefold? Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, I do have, I have partners um, or just one partner um, and, then, and then my wife too. Uh, she, you know, she's got our, our kids and we homeschool, we do a hybrid homeschool program. So they're her first priority you know, as far as, you know, uh, vocation goes, but, um, she does help me in the business a lot as well. Um, she's not my main partner in the business, but she's my boss, if you know what I mean. Um, and, uh, but, uh, my superpower, I mean, I think, um, I'm able to kind of see like a big picture and, and break it down and not get overwhelmed by something that, um, would be overwhelming to most people. And it's not like, I'm not like tougher than anybody. Just, I just, um, I can kind of break things down and just take it one like the whole like, hey, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. I'm just pretty good at that. Like, okay, yeah, there's this great big elephant there. It's gonna take forever to do this, but like I'm I'm like I'm able to kind of block it out and just focus in on what needs done. And then pretty good at like deciding what needs done, you know. Um, because when you go to buy an apartment building, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's it's daunting. There's a lot that goes into it. And I'm able to just kind of break it down and, and go, okay, there's a lot, but like that thing and that thing and that thing, I don't need, even need to do that for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to put it out of my mind. I'm going to focus on what I need to do this week. And so pretty good at that and kind of leading the team in that direction. And I think I'm pretty passionate about real estate. Uh, I like talking about it. So I, I definitely the one that, that talks to our investors and, and, and spreads the word and tries to bring others in. So um, that's, I think a superpower of mine, but I think just seeing the big picture, breaking it down for the team and um, being the one that's out in front, kind of taking on the risk and taking on the the stress just because I, I just kind of handle it better than, than um, a lot of people. And because I'm just able to kind of break it down and push off some of it that, that doesn't need to be stressed about today and just handle the stuff that does. And I, so I can kind of handle that for the team. That's fantastic. And I guess that's why you're the visionary, right? Yeah. Because uh, someone has to be the visionary. Someone has to be, you know, the all seeing eye looking at everything and, and making sure that the company is being ran on, you know, full speed, right? Yes. You know, firing on all cylinders. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of times, and this goes into my, my second question, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, you know, we get too nitty gritty in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people this all the time, like nobody is going to care about your business more than you. Yeah. Nobody's going to care about your real estate company more than you because you're the one up 90 hours per week trying to make sure that you know, your properties are performing, you know, you're raising capital, finding deals, all, all the things that, that we do as real estate investors. But the challenge is that a lot of times you're designing a life that is surrounded by like your business, right? Or your business is, is on the forefront and your life is on the side instead of like 
designing, you know, a, a life around your business, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So you're designing a business around your life, but in, you know, vice versa, instead of des- designing, you know, your life that's around, you know, um, your business, like mm-hmm. talk about how you were able to, or how you're working on that. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs and particularly myself, you know, I, I tend to struggle with this sometimes where I put the business, you know, in front of maybe like my health, for example. So yeah. instead of, you know, going to the gym, I'm, 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 you know, spending that extra hour, like underwriting properties. Yeah, and I'm, I looked yeah. up and it's like, oh, well, I should have went to the gym. Like how, like, how are you balancing that? Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing challenge for sure. And it's something I, I spend a lot of time, you know, praying about and, and hoping um, the Lord would lead me in that uh, because it, it is a challenge because I'm, I'm just, I'm all, I'm all in on, on, on real estate and on, on, you know, the business that we're building. Um, and so, yeah, I wake up wanting to do that and there's other things that are more important for sure. Uh, my wife is a, is a huge help. I think having a partner in it uh, is really good because she, um, while she believes in real estate and like, she's kind of all, you know, she's, she's all in it, but like, she's just, she's got herself pulled back from it and, and she sees it for what it is. You know, it's a vehicle, but she's not all in all like I am. So she's great. And, and often, you know, you need that partner sometimes to remind you sometimes daily of like, Hey, remember, this is more important. This is more important things like that. I think um, you got to set up that way at the beginning. So I think it's really good. Again, my life has been so um, invaluable in this, but like we talk about it, you know, at the beginning, right. As we were building the company and then we spent a lot of time at the beginning of the year, like setting things up and we just make sure we know, well, this is what's important. So let's make sure we're taking steps toward building a business. So, you know, for instance, we go back to, you know um, yeah, like early on, it was like, if we're going to be the property managers, um, because we're doing it all ourselves at the beginning, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time working with, and like, we're going to be on the phone, you know, people are going to be calling us. So we knew right away, we don't want to manage properties because we don't want to be the property manager. We don't want to be the one getting a call, the one having to run out the property, because that's going to take away from what we've said is most important, which is our family. And that's not going to allow us to build our business around our family. That was our decision. Other people might make a different decision. They might say, well, Lee, actually you're wrong because you can do this. Part. Okay. But for us, it was like, if we manage our own properties, starting out here, we're not going to be able to prioritize our family. So it's making decisions like that. You got to make those beforehand because once you get in, it might be too late. I mean, you know, you can go get a property manager, but we made decisions like that. Yeah. You know, like that, that I think set us up to say, and, and that just, so when you do that, that determines which deals you go after. So that's, that's one thing that really pushed us to get bigger deals because those are deals that can afford a property manager more than the smaller deals. So it was like, well, we got to go bigger if we want to use property manager. So it pushed us to go bigger faster, which I'm glad we did. And and so making decisions like that. And then, but once you get into it, man, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always work to do. So I can always work. It's just, you know, reminding yourself where your priorities are. For me, that's starting my day that way. I try to start my day in the word and prayer. Again, try to connect with God and be led by him and have the Holy Spirit lead me in what I want to do. And then set my schedule, you know, for the day and, and do like some time blocking, things like that, that like, this is the time I'm going to do this. This time I'm going to do that. Uh, but you got to set it up from the beginning that way because you can say you're going to time block and do this. But like, you know, if you get into it and like you got to close on a property, well, you're going to do it, right? Like you guys like you and I, right? If there's something like really has to be done, like we're going to do it. So you got to really set things up from the beginning. You're going to get swallowed up by it. And you're going to be like, well, man, I'd love to go work out. I'd love to spend time with my wife. But like, we're going to lose money if we don't close on this property. So that becomes yeah. a priority. So you, you got to set up from the beginning and then, you know, I think be intentional each day and, and time block and things like that. 
Yeah, yeah, I hundred percent agree. I think the being intentional for sure, the time blocking for sure. Mm-hmm. While you know we're we're not perfect, you know things might happen, deals might come up, you know we might have to jump to a different task. But I think it's it starts with being intentional, yeah, and and really understanding that um, you know there is life outside of real estate, and you know if if you don't get a hold on you know creating systems, you know processes creating SOPs for your company, you will just very much end up being just a, um, you know, a self-employed person, right? Yeah, not a, a solopreneur. A solopreneur, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, my advice to someone who is starting off in the world of real estate or just entrepreneurship in general is, is start by thinking that up front because mm-hmm. that is really going to help you uh, navigate through a path that would be, which is, you know, what I think, you know, you and I, and I think our listeners want, which is a life by design, right? And yeah. so, if you if you're just kind of following the trends and and trying to do deals that that align with the trends, but are but not align with how you want to or how you envision your life, then I think you're in for some some head bumps, you yeah, know, on the way to your success. Yep. Yeah. Well said, man. So. You've been on this real estate journey a long time, you know, tell us, you know, give us a, an example of, you know, something that you maybe struggled with in your business or maybe on the world of entrepreneurship that um, you had like a breakthrough moment, right? Maybe it was creating a systems and processes that allowed you to to maybe scale or, or something that, you know, was a roadblock at first, but, you know, allowed you to, you know, turn it around into a breakthrough moment to help you be successful today? Yeah, for me, it's been um, other people. So it's been like realizing my limits and what I'm just able to handle, but also like just my skills and then seeing that others have skills that I don't, they've got time that I like, I'm only one person. So, you know, they, they, they can do that. And so when I've added other people, um, there's, you know, who not how book by Dan Solomon's really good. Um, and it just talks about like, you know, naturally, most people want to say, okay, here's this problem. How am I, there you go. Yeah. How am I going to overcome this? And uh, instead you should be saying like, who maybe can do this for me? And you, you know, it doesn't apply in every situation. And certainly as you're starting out, you're probably going to have to wear most of the hats yourself. But, you know, for instance, you know, like when I, we had the duplex, we managed it ourselves. And, and again, we said, okay, we don't want to manage our own properties because we feel like it's going to take away from the lifestyle that we want and, and how we want to organize things. So we need to use property management. And when I was looking at getting a 16 unit, that was our first multifamily, it was just so overwhelming to me. But I was still thinking about it like, I've got to, how am I going to manage this 16 unit? Once I really understood that somebody else was going to manage it and it was a company that was managing a thousand units in that same city, I realized like managing this 16 unit is going to be so easy for them um, because they manage a thousand. For me, I had managed the duplex. This was eight times as big as anything I'd ever done. For them, this was 1.6% of their portfolio, right? So that that was just a, a real game changer for me. It was like, this is over. Well, I, I don't feel like I can do this. And then I'm like, I, I don't have to. Somebody else is going to do it. Now, I still was managing them, you know, still doing the asset management, all that. But the day-to-day, man, the stuff that was like really daunting to me, like going out and talking to all the residents and making them all pay, it was all them. They did all that. Um, and, and I've continued to experience that with, you know, just within the business. So mentors have, have really helped me um, get past some of these. But yeah, when you add, that was a roadblock for me to think like, again, just a 16 unit just felt so overwhelming. But once I realized I had that partner that was going to do the day-to-day stuff that seemed overwhelming, I was like, okay, then I guess I can do this because they're really the ones doing it. 
Right. So yeah. um, that was really got me over that. That's fantastic, man. That's a great, great story. So if you were to start this marathon all over again, what's one thing that you think you would do differently that would contribute to your success? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I wouldn't do a whole lot differently, but I would I would network earlier. Sure, like adding, you know, I feel like what I was just talking about was like adding team members. And, and again, I, I, these people weren't like on my team, but I consider them on my team because they were managing my properties. That's big, but just even talking to people. I mean, there's been times I've had conversations with people and someone would change my mindset. And it's like, it's like a speed burst. It's like skipping a couple levels in, in the game. You know, you might be going along and, and you can only move from one level at a time. You know, you, you're just compared to like a video game or something, you, you compete level, complete level one, and you got to learn something at level one that allows you to go on to level two and, and complete level two. But if you've got somebody that's already at level 10, they, they can't just bring you up to level 10, but they can probably oftentimes give you a cheat code that takes you from level one to level three and then from level three to level five. There's just certain things they've even, and even if it's changing your mindset, another thing about getting that 16 unit, the other reason I felt comfortable doing it was because I had a mentor at the time. Um, and he was just a local guy. I didn't pay him anything. He was running the apartment focus group for the local RIA in Cincinnati. And he'd already bought a 40 unit and a 25 unit. So again, for him to go get a 16 unit was like, yeah, I've done more than this. I've done bigger than this. So yeah, Lee, like here, here's the offer letter that you send out. Go ahead and sign here and put your, your offer price here and send that out. That's your letter of intent. And then, okay, purchase, you know, sales agreement. Let me look through that with you. And I'll go do the inspection with you. So that guy right there uh, skipped me ahead multiple levels. I went from a duplex to a 16 unit. A, a lot of people might not do that, but with a, a mentor, you can do that. So the networking piece, there's people that you can network with and connect with that allow you to skip levels. And I would have done that even sooner. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the bread and butters behind um, the real estate business, specifically in the world of private equity, really have to network. And, and you just, you just never know who you might meet. You know, there might be the next person that will, you know, take your business to the next level or, or, you know, bring this new idea to you and your company. So yeah. you really, really have to focus on, on networking in yep. this space. A hundred percent. Lee, this was such a fantastic conversation. We talked about, your transition from small multifamily to large multifamily, how you got into this business from being a physical therapist, your operations side of things. You know, I know that you have an ebook on your website. Can you share yeah. a little bit more on that? Yeah, we, it's, it's called uh, Five Steps to Passive Income for the Full-Time Dad. And yeah, Yannick, like you, man, I, I'm trying to bring more people into the space of, um, you know, commercial real estate. I just think it's an incredible investment vehicle um, and, and I don't think everybody should quit their jobs and go do it full time like you and I are, but I do think everybody should try to get into it, uh, some exposure to it. And, and for most people, it's going to be passively investing. And I just think, you know, most guys and, and dads, and, and I'll just speak to them. I mean, there's plenty of women like this too, but you, you and I are, are guys and, and I'm a dad and there's a lot of dads out there that really want to provide well for their family. And they say, you know, how am I going to do that? Well, if I want to provide even better for my family because I want my kids to go to private school or I want to take some nice vacations and give my kids experience. How am I going to do that? Well, I got to take the promotion. I got to work even more. I got to trade more time for money. And I think there's a different way. I think actually, if you can save up some money, you can make your money work for you. And if you can put your money out there and make your money work for you, it might be your money that's making money for you. Like, you know, just raw numbers. If you can, if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you can put into investment, makes you 10%. You just made an extra 10 grand per year because real estate pays you cash flow Now it's not just saving up for retirement. It's paying you cash flow Now 
if you can make an extra eight grand a year off an eight percent return on your hundred thousand dollars, maybe that is what allows you to take a couple a couple vacations a year for so your kids can have some cool experiences, or maybe that allows your kids to go to private school. And that's just one investment in one year, like it builds over time. So I, that's what that ebook's about. And yeah, so if you jump on our website, threefoldrei.com, um, you'll see that there with some other stuff. And so I, I encourage people to read it. That's wonderful. Well, it's I'm sure it's a very, very fantastic ebook for our listeners to really pay attention to, whether you're a full-time dad or not. I think there's a ton of nuggets that are in there that will allow folks to, to really focus on creating that lifestyle by design, right? Yeah, Which we talked yeah. about. Yep. So Lee, again, we, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, commercial real estate space, multifamily space. Thank you so much for being our guest on our show. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Let's be great, take action, and remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Lee. Thanks, Jan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.